On Friday, 10th of August 2018, there were plenty of news stories around the world making headlines. But in the maelstrom of the Trump presidency, perhaps one of the biggest, was something that happened in Seattle that despite being one of the strangest, scariest, most bizarre events of 2018, pretty much slipped under the radar, especially outside of America. In this video, we look at the extraordinary events that led to one of the most serious domestic airline security breaches since 9-11. However, it was not connected to a criminal plot or terrorist ideology. When you hear the facts of the story, it's hard not to feel sorry for the perpetrator who comes across as a nice guy. Here is the incredible but disturbing story of Richard Bebo Russell. Richard Russell was born on the 19th of September 1989 in Key West, Florida. At the age of seven, Richard along with his parents and two younger sisters moved to Wasilla, Alaska. From an early age, Richard was affectionately known as Bebo to his family and friends, a name that stuck into adulthood. Richard attended Wasilla High School, where he excelled at sport, competing in track and field and wrestling. However, his real strength was a hard-hitting football fullback, who in his senior year scored six touchdowns. He was so good that after finishing high school aged 18, he was scouted by Valley City State University to join their football team, and he moved to Fargo in North Dakota. However, things didn't work out. His performance on the field was disappointing, and after just a year, he quit and moved to Coos Bay, Oregon, to study at Southwestern Oregon Community College. It was during his time in Oregon that he met his future wife, Hannah. The pair, who were both deeply religious, both attended Campus Crusade for Christ meetings, and their romance blossomed from there. They married in 2012, and went on to open an artisan bakery in Oregon. But Hannah was missing her family, and in 2015, they sold the bakery and moved to Sumner, Washington to be nearer to Hannah's family. Richard enrolled in Washington State University Global Campus, majoring in social science, with ambitions to be a pilot or a military officer. He and his wife remained active in the church, and he was a leader in the local Christian youth ministry Young Life. Richard also took up a job with Horizon Airlines as a ground service agent at Seattle-Tacoma International Airport. It appears it was a fairly mundane job, but afforded some perks. In 2017, Richard uploaded this video about his job, and the traveling it enabled him and his wife to do. Hi, I'm Bebo Russell, and I'm a ground service agent. That means I lift a lot of bags. Like, a lot of bags. So many bags. Look at all them bags. Ooh, a purple one. I usually have to work outside in this. But it allows me to do some pretty cool things too. Most importantly, I get to visit those I love most. It evens out in the end. Outwardly, it appeared he had a pretty cool life. However, there were signs of discontentment, especially with his job at Horizon Airlines, and he often complained to his friends and family about a loophole in policy that meant he was not being paid the minimum wage 
like some of the other staff at the airport. However, despite his obvious grievance about his paying conditions, nobody could have predicted just how upset he was until August 10th, 2018. Richard turned up at the airport to start his shift. The time was 2.36pm. As he casually checked into work, he can be seen wearing a t-shirt with the words, The sky's not the limit on. Richard carries on his shift just like any other day, his employee badge giving him access to both the cargo areas and the tug. Then at 6.57pm, you can see him in his tow truck. The plane you can see is the Horizon Air Bombardier Q400, owned by Alaska Air. The 76-seat plane had just completed its last scheduled flight and was parked in the maintenance bay. For unknown reasons, the plane was unlocked. You'll see Richard drive to the nose of the plane and attempt to attach the tug. Over the next few minutes, Richard repeats this process twice more before a different camera captures him driving through a cargo area where he gets off the tug and runs out of sight. At 7.15pm, Richard reappears and again drives to the front of the plane where he attaches the tow bar. At 7.19, Richard can be seen in the cockpit of the plane where he starts the checklist sequence for starting up the plane's engines. He is trained to start the aircraft's auxiliary power unit, but beyond that, he exceeds all authorization. You can see the propellers start turning, and in the background, fellow workers are completely unaware of what is about to happen. Richard then exits the cockpit and taxis the plane into position on the runway. This is normally a two-man job. He then disconnects the tow vehicle, and with the plane rolling forward, He frantically pulls down the stairs and climbs into the cockpit to stop the plane, before pulling away again out of shot. At this time, air traffic control was unusually sparse, and as luck would have it for Richard, the plane had direct and immediate access to the runway and was pointing in the right direction for takeoff. At 7.32pm, Richard starts rolling up the runway preparing for takeoff. A minute later, the plane with its solo untrained pilot smoothly ascends into the air soaring south towards Mount Rainier, the 14,500-foot glacier-topped volcano, looming over the Puget Sound. The next voice you will hear is a confused air traffic controller asking what plane is taking off, and an Alaska airline pilot who is equally confused. This is followed by Richard when he makes contact with air traffic control, as well as two other equally concerned pilots. Aircraft on Charlie, uh, lining up runway 16 center, save call sign. That aircraft was passing behind the other horizon when he was taking off roll, and I don't know what he was doing. Who's the aircraft on runway 16 Center? Seattle ground, uh, horizon guy, um, about to take off, it's gonna be crazy. His wheels are smoking left and right, uh, as they are right now as he's rolling down the runway. Alright, I'm not even talking to him. He came flying out of the, uh, cargo area in front of Delta. And there's just a uh, single single pilot in there. He came flying out of nowhere. We didn't even hear. We thought we missed somebody. Tar, you need to call and scramble now. No, we are. As you can hear, a request is made for the F-15s from Portland to be scrambled to intercept the aircraft. It would take nearly 45 minutes for them to come alongside the stolen aircraft. In the meantime, NORAD is already tracking Richard's flight as he flies erratically around the massive summit of Mount Rainier. Here is actual footage and audio of his flight. Unfortunately, the footage is not in sequence, and most of it was taken by on-the-ground observers, who couldn't believe what was happening. But the audio is real, 
and contains the astonishing confession from Richard that he knew how to fly a plane as he'd played video games. Although he admitted he had no idea how to land the plane, as he had not intended on landing. It is clear that Richard is also not used to the turbulence and is vomiting all over the controls. The air traffic controller desperately tries to get Richard to land the aircraft, although he seemed reluctant to land at the suggested airport, and told the controller he was not quite ready to land yet, although he was very aware the fuel was going down quicker than he expected. Richard was also realising the consequences of what he had done, and apologised on more than one occasion. Right, zero, seven, zero. Approach, welcome, final runway, one, six, right. Welcome. Man, I'm a ground service agent, I don't know what that is. Clear to Portland, Seattle, six is filed at the 7,017. Yeah, for zero, four, one, six, right, five, 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 five. Started up, get it to go. Uh, did a couple hours, I guess, but, um, yeah, I wouldn't know how to land it. I wasn't really planning on landing it. 99 knows how to fly one of those aircraft, but uh, we'll see what we can do and get you in contact with somebody. All right, um, yeah, I just kind of want to do a couple maneuvers, see what it can do before I put it down, you know? That's departure, boy, 464. And so I can uh, reach out to you a little easier. A little bit. I'm sorry, say that again? Sorry, uh, my mic can't came off. I threw up a little bit. Uh, you know, I, uh, hold on. Ah, shoot. Man, I'm sorry about this. I hope this doesn't ruin your day. 22, cross rail six left contact. Just flying the plane around, you seem comfortable with that? Oh, hell yeah, it's a blast, man. I've played video games before, so I, uh, you know, I know what I'm doing a little bit. Okay, and, uh, and you can see all the terrain around you. Uh, you've got no issue with visibility or anything? No, nah, everything's peachy. Peachy clean. Just did a little circle around Rainier. It's beautiful. Um, I think I got some gas to go check out uh, the Olympics. And, uh, yeah. Okay, and uh, Rich, do you know, uh, are you able to tell what altitude you're at? Only one six left. Iconic tower for your landing clearance. I threw up all inside of his vest. You'll be released when you when you taxi out. American 600. join. I was thinking about it, and then uh, probably a good thing I did. 494. Mexico 494 Monitor Tower 1. Our captain did join up. Yeah, that's all mumbo jumbo. I have no idea what all that means. I wouldn't know how to uh, punch it in. I'm I'm uh, off autopilot. Okay. See ya. Make a right turn on Bravo. 5,500. No, I'm not taking you to any jets. I'm actually keeping you away from aircraft that are trying to land at SeaTac. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I don't want to screw with that. I'm glad, uh, glad you're not, uh, you know, screwing up everyone else's day. On account of me. All the traffic in front of you, make the day to chain up around on to uh, Alpha. We're going to keep people clear this runway first. 446, can we just shut down? I'm uh, down to 2100. I started at like 30 something. 100 pounds of fuel. Rich, you said you're at uh, 2,100 pounds of fuel left. Yeah, uh, I don't know what the burn burn itch burn out is like on uh, uh, on takeoff, but uh, yeah, it burned quite a bit faster than I expected. Okay. Uh, yes, sir. We have the fuel inside. There is the uh, the runway just off your right side in about a mile. Do you see that? That's the uh, that's the uh, that's McCord uh, Field. 
Oh man, those guys would rough me up if I uh, tried landing there. I think I, I think I might mess something up there too. I wouldn't want to do that. Oh, uh, hopefully. Oh, they probably got anti-aircraft. No, they don't have any of that stuff. Uh, we, we're just trying to find a place for you to land safely. Yeah, not quite ready to bring it down just yet, but holy smokes, I gotta, I gotta stop looking at the fuel because it's going down quick. Okay, Rich, uh, if you could, if, could you start a left-hand turn, and uh, we'll we'll take you down to the uh, southeast, please. This is probably uh, like jail time for life, huh? I, I mean, I would hope it is for a guy like me. Well, Rich, we're not we're not going to worry or think about that. But could you start a left-hand turn, please? Richard had been in the air for approximately 15 minutes before authorization was given to scramble F-15s, and at 2:15 local time. Two McDonnell Douglas F-15C Eagles, under the command of NORAD, were scrambled from Portland Air National Guard Base. Both were armed with AIM-9 Sidewinger and AIM-120 AMRAM air-to-air missiles and went supersonic. Within seven minutes, they were flying alongside the stolen aircraft. Flights in and out of SeaTac Airport were also temporarily suspended. The dialogue between Richard and the controller continued but was sketchy at times, as transmission went in and out of range. A professional pilot was brought into the conversation to try and help Richard land the plane, and for the first time, Richard sounded agitated. He also mentioned minimum wage, saying we'll chalk it up to that. Uh, minimum wage. We'll, we'll uh, chalk it up to that. Maybe that'll uh, grease the gears a little bit with the higher-up. Maybe, uh... Yeah. Again, the controller advised Richard to plan a landing, although even for a trained pilot, landing a Q-400 was not an easy task. The plane is designed to climb sharply out of small airports, and its high-powered engines make the plane difficult to control when full, and even harder when empty, as pilots jokingly referred to the Q-400 as the Crash 8 because of how difficult it is to land. But Richard seemed uninterested in landing the aircraft, more interested in taking in the sights, although he did become reflective about what he had done before getting jokey again with the controller and the pilot. Here. That'd be better than uh, trying to land it. Like, I know how to put the landing gear down. Put your, uh, your power, that probably 50%. That'd be the two top gauges right in the center on that glass uh, display there. And then press, uh, well, tell me, uh, do your power at 50% or tell me what you got. Yeah, I got it like flight idle. Well, that's too slow. Bring it up to like 50. There's side on the bottom it says HDG and it's got a little blue uh, M on it. You can crank that around and, uh, and uh, you know what, tell you what, let's just do this. Um, push, you see the HDD, HDG button uh, right by that little thumb wheel? No, you can do that with these things. Uh, so, what would, if you were to do it, how would you do it? Well, I'd try to figure out how to use the autopilot first. Not concentrate so much on flying the airplane. Hey, you think if I land this successfully, uh, last will give me a job as a pilot? Uh, you know, I think they would give you a job of doing anything if you could pull this off. Yeah, right. Nah, I'm a white guy, eh? Hey, FAA guy, Andrew, you off? Yeah, I'm still here, Rich. Uh, if you wanted to land, 
Probably the best bet is that uh, runway just ahead and to your left. Again, that's the uh, McCord Field. Um, if you wanted to try, that might be the best way to set up and see if you can land there. Or just like the uh, pilot suggests, another option would be over Puget Sound into the water. Dang, uh, did you talk to McCord yet? Because I don't think I'd be happy with you telling me I could land like that because I could mess some stuff up. Well, Richard, I already talked to him. And uh, just like me, what we want to see is you not get hurt or anybody else get hurt. So, like I said, if you want to try to land, that's probably the best place to go. Hey, I want the coordinates of that orca with the, you know, the mama orca with the baby. I want to go see that guy. Behind you, there is another aircraft. Would you be willing to talk to them if they're on the frequency and maybe they can help you land? Hey, what's the, what's that airport right there behind me, like to my left? Okay, Rich, well, first of all, we, we just need you to keep flying the aircraft. So if you could just stay there and keep flying the aircraft. The, air, the, uh, the airport you just passed over on your left, that's the uh, Tacoma Narrows Airport. I mean, that's also an option if you want to try going there. But uh, like I said earlier, McCord, that's a, that's a bigger runway if you wanted to try to land there. Hey, Rich, this is Captain Bill here. We're still uh, listening. My airplane's doing uh, just fine. How's yours? Like I said, it, it would be a better option, I think, if you tried to land it or even land it on the water. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Yeah. Hey, is that pilot on? I want to know uh, what this weather is going to be like in the Olympics. Well, if you can see the Olympics, the weather's good. I can see the Olympics from my window and it looks pretty good over there. Alright, because I, I hit some, uh, felt like turbulence around right near, but there was no clouds hardly. Oh, uh, that's just the uh, the wind blowing over all the bumpy surfaces there. Oh, copy that. Yeah, but Rich, if you could, uh, maybe start a left-hand turn, start turning back around, because if you get too close to the Olympics, uh, you won't be able to hear us anymore. Uh, turn back around here. Like I said, I just want to keep talking to you. And if you keep going towards the Olympic Mountains, we won't be able to hear each other. I got a lot of people that care about me, and uh, it's going to disappoint them to, to hear that I did this. Um, I would like to apologize to each and every one of them. Um, just a broken guy, got a few screws loose, I guess. Never really knew it until <clears throat> now. Um, you know, man, have you been to the Olympics? These guys are gorgeous. Holy smokes! But if you could, if you could start a left turn and uh, turn back towards the east, I know you're getting a good view there. But uh, if you go too much further in that direction, I won't be able to hear you anymore. Air traffic controllers brought in another pilot to try and guide Richard to land the plane. However, again, he seemed uninterested in this offer. 
and instead said he wanted to have some fun and try a barrel roll. Alright, um, hey, pilot guy, can this thing do a, uh, a backflip, you think? I'm gonna land it, um, like, uh, in a safe, safe kind of manner. I think I'm, uh, I think I'm gonna try to do a barrel roll, and if that goes good, I'll just go nose down and call it a night. Miraculously, Richard rolled the plane just 10 feet above the water in an aircraft not designed to perform such a maneuver. Richard clearly didn't expect to pull it off and surprised himself as well as the air traffic control team. POI-1 just completed a barrel roll, uh, current altitude 2,000 feet. I want you to confirm he did a barrel roll. A-firm, he cleared the surface of the water by approximately 10 feet. All right, Rich, this is Captain Bill. Congratulations, you uh, did that. Now let's uh, let's try to land that airplane safely and not hurt anybody on the ground. All right. Ah, uh, damn it. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't want to. I was kind of hoping that was going to be it, you know? After long, I feel like one of my engines is going out or something. Those were the last words Richard spoke. Shortly after, at 8.46pm, the Q400 crashed into woods at the southern end of tiny Ketron Island, just offshore in the Puget Sound, between Tacoma and Olympia. The Q400 tore down trees and bushes, and its wings were shorn from the fuselage, sparking a two-acre fire. According to FBI investigators, Richard died of multiple traumatic injuries, and despite sideslip, consistent with flying with only one engine, they concluded the final descent to the ground appears to have been intentional. After 73 minutes in flight, the FBI determined that Richard acted alone, died by suicide, and was not connected to a criminal plot or terrorist ideology. His exploits were not considered a hijacking, as no passengers were involved. They stated no flight data or cockpit recordings would be released, but acknowledged that a significant amount of the communication had been captured by amateur aviation enthusiasts who tuned into the transmissions. The agency also concluded Richard had no formal flight training, although his internet search history had included instructional videos. And as part of his job, he was familiar with the checklist for starting an aircraft, and supposed he had learned other aspects flying a plane on a flight simulator. It was also revealed that during the flight, Richard did text his wife, telling her that she deserved better, although the exact wording has never been released. For Richard's family, the disbelief that the man they knew as a caring, loving husband, son, and friend could do such a thing was summed up in a statement they gave on the 11th of August, delivered by a family friend. It may seem difficult for those watching at home to believe, but Bebo was a warm, compassionate man. It is impossible to encompass who he was in a press release. He was a faithful husband, a loving son, and a good friend. A childhood friend remarked that Bebo was loved by everyone because he was kind and gentle to each person he met. This is a complete shock to us. We are devastated by these events, and Jesus is truly the only one holding this family together right now. Without him, we would be hopeless. As the voice recordings show, Bebo's intent was not to harm anyone. He was right in saying that there are so many people who have loved him. We would like to thank the authorities who have been both helpful and respectful. Alaska Air for their resources, the community, 
his friends and his family for their incredible support and compassion. And Jesus, whose steadfast love endures. We'd also like to thank the media for their sensitivity and acknowledging this as the only statement that will be released by the family. And we request that we now be given space to mourn. At this time, the family is moving forward with the difficult task of processing our grief. We appreciate your prayers. Thank you, the family of Bebo Russell. In the days following the crash, a massive cleanup and recovery operation was launched that included Alaska Airlines insurers. The aircraft was worth $30 million, all of which was repaid under the company's insurance policy. However, there were still many unanswered questions. Not least, why did Richard take such drastic action to end his life? Investigators interviewed countless family and friends of Richard, and he had plenty, and they looked for possible reasons. It was known that he had been drinking a lot prior to the incident, although friends and family had intervened and felt he had it under control. And apart from his unhappiness about wages, they never really found a clear-cut reason why. Richard's family, understandably, have not been willing to talk to the media, but his stepbrother did agree to a TV interview in 2018, in which he alluded to the head trauma Richard suffered from playing football. It was known he had suffered concussions, and friends who played alongside Richard also believed he may have had chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, a progressive neurodegenerative disease caused by repeated head trauma that can result in extreme mood changes, depression, aggression, and impulsivity. At the time, Richard played football, concerned about injuries, had not been as understood as it is now, so no process was in place to protect him. Then there is the question of how easy it was for Richard to steal a plane in the first place, and why there were no safeguards in place or alerts to stop him entering the cockpit and taking off. It seemed the entire system relied on the credentials and trust of the employees, with nothing in place if any of them went rogue. Like all airport staff, Richard had passed FBI background checks, but unlike the passengers, who in the wake of 9-11 were all treated as a potential threat, no one was keeping tabs on Richard. No one was periodically checking his health or mental state outside of the initial vetting when he was hired three years before the incident. Apart from occasional security spot checks, no other measures were in place at the time to monitor employees' well-being. If there had been, maybe Richard would still be alive today. In the aftermath of the plane theft, Richard has become an internet folk hero, and there are forums dedicated to the man dubbed Sky King. His actions transitioned into myth, legend, and meme, with people selling merch with slogans like Puget Sound Flight Club and Fly It Like You Stole It. This hero worship of a man who crashed a $30 million aircraft during a suicide mission is misplaced. If things had gone differently, Richard could have caused death or injury to innocent people. There is no doubt he caused a lot of hurt and despair to his family and friends. But like we said at the start of this video, it's easy to like Richard. He came across as a nice guy who set in motion a plot that he couldn't turn back from. But he was no hero. The reality is Bebo Russell spent his final minutes scared, lightheaded, and covered in his own vomit. He went against all the advice he was given throughout the flight and ultimately decided to take his own life rather than try and return safely to the ground. We can't help feeling that with the right support, Richard could have turned his life around. He had a lot going for him and the way his life was cut short weeks before his 29th birthday 
was a tragedy for everyone involved. So that's the disturbing story of Richard Russell. Let us know your thoughts on his actions in the comments below. Thanks for watching, and as always, we'll see you in the next video.